0: Welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Jan Orman. In this podcast series, we've invited people we know and admire to tell you their stories.
1: My name's Paula Cottervich. So my name is Craig Sample. Evie Rader. Molly
0: Shorthouse. My name's Percy Knight. I was a career detective in the New South Wales Police Force. I identify as a trans woman. I am a remote doctor in East Arnhem Land. These are people who may not have made the headlines, but whose stories are just as worthy of your attention as those you hear about in the media. Living with cancer. I was struggling with PTSD for eight or nine years. I just had a lot of fear. I was well and truly burnt out. These are people who have flourished and met life's challenges while managing their social and emotional well-being. Uh, my career now. Uh, is as a mental health advocate and educator. A led a team that, that negotiated a $22 million native title. It definitely for taught me in my life a lot of persistence and given me a lot of strength. We're hoping you'll find something in these stories to inspire you, whatever your situation right now. I want to introduce you to Dr. Benvinda Shabragas. Benvinda is a GP who has experienced significant struggles with her mental health. Like many doctors, Benvinda has turned to work to help her through difficult times. And it worked fine for her until it didn't anymore. I think you'll find her story inspiring.
1: Okay. Well, uh, my name's Benvinda Chabregas. I'm 61. Um, and I'm a general practitioner. I was born in Mozambique, which was a Portuguese colony in um, in uh, Af- East Africa. Um, my parents and all my family are from mainland Portugal. I've lived all my life since I arrived in Australia in Sydney, um, practised mainly in Sydney, but in the past, uh, you know, past few years, I've been mainly doing uh, a country practice, you know, sort of locuming in country regions. Locuming just means that when there's, um, there are doctors, uh, who can be in cities or in, uh, in, you know, country towns who may need to take some time off. Uh, either for personal reasons or to go on holidays and uh, there's locum agencies uh, or recruiters who will just get doctors who are available to go and fill in those spots. So I set up a shingle, literally, with Benvinda Shebregas on Stanmore Road. Um, I bought a, a small um, a small house there uh, with some savings from, from when I was working um, and set up my my office there. And on the first day, because I spoke the second language, my parents had made sure that I spoke uh, Portuguese. Um, on this about, you know, on the first day, I had a line of people at my doorstep and that was it. <laughs> then it was many years of uh, very rewarding very long hours, um, very – it got to a point where where possibly just quite overwhelming, um, you know, sort of general practice. Um, And it was – it was extremely rewarding though. The community was – I – I basically attracted an ethnic community of Portuguese-speaking people. One, I was in Stanmore, and that had been deliberate um, because I knew that uh, Petersham and Stanmore was where most of the Portuguese people um, had it, you know, were established. Although I, we were always living in the eastern suburbs. Um, at the time, uh, we were living in Kingsford, actually, um, and I uh, the practice was run myself as a solo general, general practitioner um, and a very, very, you know, committed, um, you know, sort of receptionist who became my right-hand person. Um, and she would be what I would say now, your trained practice manager, <laughs> although she didn't have a nursing background. By the end of it, I think she knew plenty. Um, and this was, a as I said, an extremely long hours and very, um, very busy practice with a lot of not just your normal, um, you know, sort of colds, coughs and flus, which all general practices get, but the uh, the predominance was on social issues that were affecting the community at that stage. Firstly, I'm going to put a bit of a background to this. This was a time, I set up practice in 86, um, and this was a time where there was absolutely no, um, no you know, sort of allied health around. Um, my brother had been the first um, medical, uh, Portuguese medical person here in Sydney. There was another fellow in Wollongong and that was it. And then I came along. So there was only really one medically trained person, Portuguese person that, well, that I know of in Sydney at the time, um, with no other allied health at all. So, and when I say allied health, I'm talking also about social, uh, you know, social services, nothing. The community is, was Portuguese, and I'm talking about uh, with all respect for the, the people, Portuguese people at that stage. They were an older community where there was a great deal of concentration on family. But within that family unit, there was a um, unit of a real commitment to, you know, between husband and wife, but a great degree of acceptance by, uh, by women, particularly older women, of domestic violence. And this came from both husbands and children. Um, just as an example, uh, for a while there, I was a halfway house for a particular p- patient who had gotten the strength after, you know, many years in Australia to, um, you know, sort of to walk out of a really bad domestic violence situation, but was living with an adult son who was 20, who uh, felt that it was his right to beat his mother up just like the father had. Um, And the fact was that she'd come in and trying to make sense of how a woman much older than me um, at that stage was uh, quite acceptant and would make excuses that, well, you know, maybe I deserved it because I, I didn't iron his shirt on time. So, and that was, and that was n- not a one-off, there was a lot of that going on. So I was growing up very quickly about the realities of the world and being that person who was the person that was listening and trying to help them um, and at the same time sort of still finding my feet on being an, an adult myself really. Yeah. So, but, but the, that that was the, the you know it was a my my office at some stages and that's where my uh, my receptionist came in. Um, she often would be confronted by very significant issues where she just take it, take people down the back where I had you know a couple of rooms. Uh, my treatment what you'd call now my treatment rooms and then she'd just come and tell me in between patients I've got such and such and um, this is happening and so we'd have these long counselling sessions in between what was my usual day um, which effectively uh, extended my days up to about 12 hours a day 12 13 hour days for a long time. I became involved in mental health from the day um, I started um, my general practice. So, from the nature of, like I said to you, what what I got a lot in general practice, um, and then my main um, interest, obviously, um, I uh, in two thousand and two, um, I. Basically, went from being a general practitioner, practicing the day before, to waking up in the morning the next day in November two thousand and two, and feeling that I couldn't get out of bed. Um, I basically just, if I look back, I couldn't move. I could barely breathe. Um, I. Uh, did I recognise that I was having a major mental health um, issue? Uh, I recognised that I was as sick as a dog. Um, so my uh, my now ex-husband uh, rang a, a friend of mine who is a psychiatrist who had gone through uh, uni with me. Um, And she had – and she organised for me to go to um, Northside Clinic. Um, And I had a hospital of admission there for about – I think it was about five or six weeks. Um, And the first couple of weeks literally was a blur. Um, So – and from there, I had to take an interest in mental health and when I say this, um, was it only then that, you know, that mental health was a, was a, of an issue to me? Uh, was it only uh, the recognition in my patients? Um, no, um, I, I had gone to a psychiatrist for a short time in uh, two, 1994, 1995, Um, because my my dad passed away as a 63-year-old with a brain tumour, and I really uh, decompensated quite badly at that stage. Uh, So I'd seen that psychiatrist, but then I felt much better. Well, this was reactive. My father passed away um, and so forth. Um, I'd, uh, you know, I'd been quite aware that in my family there was very significant mental health issues. Um, uh, going right back to my mum as a 12-year-old, I, I witnessed my mum being scheduled um, for in what the then was endogenous depression. Um, I was actually the 12-year-old who walked into the, uh, you know, sort of walked around um, home being, feeling like I was walking on eggshells all the time because her, her mental health was so fragile. Um, she was a, an extremely intelligent woman, that's how I've, I'd known her, and she then suddenly, when I was 12, became this person who um, I, she was not quite right, so, yeah, I, I'm going back to that because mental health issues have been there, have been in in my life, uh, you know sort of constantly. but the where the real real interest, obviously, well, there was an interest then, but when it affected me, um and i I came out of hospital and had to take quite an extensive amount of time. Off to get myself back on my feet um, and during that time struggled with the whole you know thing of you know does this mean I can't work does this mean I can't cope anymore um, so my psychiatrist had said look just take time off take some time off now I'd been told to take time off by my by a doctor prior to this Um, because towards um, a few years before, from the sort of work I was doing in my practice and the long hours, I had been experiencing quite a few, um, you know, sort of physical symptoms, Uh, tachycardias, arrhythmias, and they were real arrhythmias. They weren't in my head, they were actual physical uh, physical stuff. That a cardiologist put me on a twenty four hour monitor. He said you're getting ventricular bigeminy with runs of uh, of SVT with whatever, and then he did all the investigations and he said you are just super tired and fatigued. Get take time off. Um, and I had said, no, I can't because, um, you know, I've got a practice that I have to, I've got all these people who depended on me. Um, they don't speak English. They don't, you know, I think I was making excuses for myself. I see it as excuses for myself now. At the time, it was all very valid in my head. But now, with the benefit of having had nearly 15 years of twice-weekly psychotherapy, um, I can say that I was not well and should have stepped out of what I was doing and sought assistance for nearly two years prior. I can now go back there because I was... Creeping into my practice was sometimes sitting, listening to people and sometimes when people were talking about their own issues and whatever, thinking, oh, I wish you could just, please just get to the point and leave. And that was not something that to me was healthy and was not a natural progression of how I dealt with patients. Um, so that, but it wasn't happening all the time, but now I can, can say, well, for those two years I was struggling already. For the two weeks prior, um, I was extremely snappy at my children, um, and everything at home was just disintegrating. Um, things that my children were doing, which um, basically, I think, were were triggering off some sort of sense that if I didn't continue to go to work and achieve, I was a complete failure. Um, and the trigger, which is the most, which later on led uh, in itself, brought many years of having to. Um, try and revisit that occasion um, and try and sort things out with my eldest daughter um, because the trigger was that I'd gone to my eldest daughter's, um, you know, sort of speech and awards night and she'd always naturally achieved She was always a very good student and she'd had a particularly social year that year. (laughs) And she basically, you know, sort of as we're in the car, she sort of said, Mum, I don't think I'm getting any awards this year. And I just blew the stack. I just lost it. Absolutely had no reason, rhyme, nothing, because I, you know, I'm not just trying to say this, but I was, I've never been in the, in my kids, never been, um, you know, sort of um, achievement oriented in academics. Oh, it's been wonderful. They've both achieved very nicely but that was not something that was an undercurrent, maybe not an, an undercurrent as, as a mother, but somewhere down the line what uh, when she said that, now I realise that, you know, after having gone through and, and discussing it and whatever with, with the, the psychiatrist, that was just the straw that, that, you know, sort of broke the camel's back this i'd been a failure at being a mother, and that was just a reflection of what a failure I was, even as in my own profession because i didn't i wasn't going you know I wasn't able to really want to go to work what sort of standard was I giving my kids and that's and that was the trigger because i just I remember being in the car and saying, how could you do this and la, 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 la. And she was just flabbergasted. You know, you can imagine year nine in the back seat because she wasn't getting and she did get an award on top of it, you know, and then and this may sound, oh, that's very superficial, but this goes right back to my own feelings of self-worth my own feelings of, um, you know, how I've always maintained some sort of sense of self worth has been, you know, my academic achievements. Um, after two thousand and two, um, as I said, it. Uh, I spent that time in hospital. Came home. First six months, I, th- I literally um, was feeling. Um, that it it was like trying to walk again, but, um, you know, sort of psychologically and physically because I just had absolutely no energy. Um, And I remember uh, ringing my cousin and we were talking. She was asking me how I was and I said, I'm so excited. And it wasn't a joke. It was real excitement. I've actually made dinner for the family today. So that's, you know, that step was a massive step um, and that went on for a while. I ended up taking a couple of uh, about, you know, two, three years off from active work, um, was always, uh, you know, s- uh, always still keeping up with courses and things like that. So never stopping the academic side of it, really. Um I then, um, went and did some locuming, um, and in Sydney and then w- but went head first, you know, sort of started doing locuming, was doing part time, but I actually then was taking, a, 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 you know, doing a, a bit of a side thing, um, also out of medicine and really getting overwhelmed with again, just gone from pretty much nothing to again, sort of too much on my plate. Um, had a second hospital admission, excuse me, not recognizing the, the signs again. Um, and but that hospital admission was actually uh, something that was a considered admission. With my my specialist, um, I was not coping uh, at home, and you know sort of the with the the strains of um, you know sort of the family and that sort of stuff. Um, and you know th- I had quite a lot of uh, issues going on with my oldest daughter um, because of the fact that it had been quite disastrous having gone having a mum just scream at you and then fighting and then she felt that whatever she'd done mum had ended up in hospital and wasn't the same mum to this day she sort of said mum you know you went from she used to call me superwoman to and I created this zombie that's how she she put it so there was a lot of ...you know, sort of interpersonal issues uh, from that... ...and that was putting a lot of strain again. Again, I wasn't being a good mother in my own head... Um, ...and uh, I ended up in hospital again... ...sort of, I think it was about 2005 or so. Um, But we decided it was going to be an elective admission... ...this whole, you know, that whole realm of... ...taking me out of my situation... ...diffusing those emotions... I was there for a couple of weeks. It was supposed to be for about three weeks. I think we got to about 10 days. And then I was okay um, and felt I really needed to get back to academia. And that's when I I did the law degree. Um, But again, by this stage, I was doing pacing myself, second hospital admission, I was pacing myself with general practice, only doing, you know, um, short-term locums here and there in Sydney. Um, and uh, then in 2009 I landed in hospital with possibly my most serious, um, you know, sort of admission And 2008, 2009 and that was after my ex-husband one day just walked out to me, you know, this is how I was functioning. I now realise I can't have been functioning well at that stage because of the fact that ask me why he walked out, I didn't know he were, we were heading for a divorce. That's the reality of it. And it was a, a, a very, you know, sort of very, ended up being a very acrimonious um you know, sort of separation, and my first reaction when that happened, finding that I'd come home, he'd gone, it was like i died right there and then and landed myself in hospital on that occasion, yeah. And I say the most serious because that in that situation I was actually completely... Um, lost of all sense of self. I know with previously I was just, I think the fatigue, mental and physical fatigue in 2002 was such that uh, everything was a blur but there was still some sort of sense of self there because maybe because I was still trying to, you know, get... as the weeks went on, still trying to be allowed to put, you know, the final touches to my thesis for my the Masters I was doing. So there was still that sense that the, that I, I had something to do. In the admission that I'd had um, in 2009, um, it was like I was dead um, and that, uh, you know... Uh, what was ripped from me then was that a sense of having been somebody's wife, of, you know, having been somebody's mother, um, whatever it was, um, it literally just left me a shell. Then, you know, there's a uh, lot that went on. In, it was very difficult years in those years. Um, I had uh, f- found that I had been left quite financially Uh, Ruined basically, Um, and because of how, how however, I was functioning previously. And I keep on saying that because at the time I think I was functioning okay, Um, but definitely at home uh, I was not functioning like. Um, like I would have hoped to have been. So, yeah, I found myself uh, really quite uh, in financial strife, Um, quite a few depleted bank accounts, and effectively had to decide I need to go back to work and I need to go back to work, like, really quickly. So I went from part-time to going back to full-time work, um and the full-time fortunately um, I was able to um, I was getting into my practical legal training year. So I was able to be earning at the same time as a medical advisor and I was on the phones advising other doctors, which was in itself, you know, sort of quite a challenging thing. Um, because I, I was, they have a roster of phones uh, where sometimes it was the medico-legal advisor, sometimes it was a, a lawyer. And while I was on the, on the phones, um, it's the first point of call for anyone who's got an incident, uh, you know, sort of situation, or they may have received a subpoena from a lawyer, what do they do, and all that kind of stuff. So I did that, and at the same time, got taken under the wing of the in-house lawyers to be able to do my practical legal training. I then wanted to get out of an in-office job, uh, you know, sort of because I I just felt that I had... I wanted to diversify um, and do a bit more general practice. I'd always done a bit of general practice during that time and with the Medico-Legal... Um, and I just thought I possibly need to get back into more full-time general practice. Uh, The way I I manage it, well, I I continue to be on um, on antidepressants, which I've been on for years. I um, have until very recently, until possibly... Uh, mid last year uh, engaged in twice weekly psychotherapy and that's through choice. The first couple of years I think it was a, a definitely tr- a choice and necessity um, and then as time's gone on um, I choose to do it because yes I do feel I need it um, but uh, it's helped me uh, really unravel a lot of stuff Um, Has it taken away my depression? No. Has it helped me to understand a lot of triggers, um, understand, you know, connections, things like that? Definitely. So it's made life a lot easier. Um, I say that because uh, whereby previously I might have been in really feeling absolute crap and not really understanding, well, this was so insignificant, what happened? Why am I feeling like this? Now my mind, um, you know, I, I sort of, it still happens. The psychotherapy hasn't made things not happen. So it still happens, but within a very short period of time. Sometimes it's happened. I've gotten, started to feel really quite, eh, and then very quickly, within my own mind, start sort of thinking of, well, why has this happened? It's possibly because of this. Now, um, has it given me the the answer, like black and white? No. But it's given me the ability to now recognise that there's there's things that I can, you know, take take a step back, take a deep breath and really sort of try and really work out so that I don't plummet into episodes of just feeling like, I say crap, the word that I'm thinking of, (laughs) I can't say. (laughs) Not in public. Um, But yeah, um, I meditate. Um, I've taken up meditation quite a few years back, so possibly 2005 um, after trying other things, you know, yogas and all that kind of stuff. I'd like to say that I meditate every day, but I don't. Um, But I certainly turn to meditating every day for at least, you know, half an hour, particularly at times that I just... Feel that I'm not quite in the right headspace, and I do try and put some exercise in there, um, and that yeah, it, it's one thing that I still haven't managed to say. Look, I'm religious about it, um, but I am. I I try and exercise two or three times a week um, if I can. Um, now with the going to the specialist. I have negotiated with him. I said to him middle of last year, maybe because I have been feeling quite well, um, I said to him, look, psychotherapy I think has done its trick Um, and I say its trick as much as I want to go into it. I know there would be benefit to continue but I'm 61 and I don't want to spend... This sounds terrible, but I said, I don't think I want to spend another 20 years contemplating my navel. I know that's not what I've been doing, but. <laughs> um, after I went back to work in uh, 2011, um, I specifically, um, just to keep well, I specifically uh, told my recruiters, excuse me, that I wanted um, jobs that I didn't want to work in medical centres, practising ten minute uh, medicine, which narrowed down a lot of work in in those days. But I said to them, you know, uh, and I think that's where it where I started then venturing you know, to uh, low-keeping in, in country towns and whatever, um, and that I uh, would only start off working three days a week and with the view if things were going well to increasing to four days a week. There was still a lot of fear from the fact that for a long time I'd blame general practice for the cause of my breakdown. Um, you know, I equated general practice and all the work in general practice as, as the cause. Uh, and it you know, after 10 years nearly by this stage or nine years of reflection and, and looking into how I function, it was me. And I was going to carry me into any job that that I, I did, but I was in a better place from having a lot more time to make uh, make sure that my health that I stayed healthy. My kids were now, you know, sort of young women. Um, we'd gone through the whole, you know, sort of trying to sort out a lot of a lot of issues. Um, they became huge supports. Um, I could see them flourishing as as young women, also, who um, who bluntly looked me in the face and would say, "Mum, I don't think you're well today." <laughs> so, you know, they they really and 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 to this day, um, only recently, I do have a, a you know a bit of a um, of a tendency when I'm feeling good diving back into work and so forth. So, um, th- I was talking to my daughter who's in, who now lives in England, my oldest daughter, and I was saying, look, I think I'm going to take a bit more, um, you know, sort of work on, um, you know, sort of, uh, country uh, locoming, because at the moment I tend to work about maximum three weeks of each month, um, generally this time I've had two weeks off. I just felt that I needed the full two weeks. And I said, I might do just, you know, back to back. And she was quickly on the phone and she said, no mum, you're not. (laughs) And I'm like, well I feel great. And she goes, no mum, please don't. Um, And so, you know, she sort of, I get, I've got the little voices there now. The these past few years and the whole thing of going into, um, you know, rural has been particularly, um, beneficial workwise. Um, it's the kind of practice that I was brought up on. Um, you know, it's a lot, uh, a lot more time for, for, for patients. It is a small community. Um, I, um, I, Can the timing of hours has been taken out of my hands? So, in itself, I am being very dependent on the boundaries of not working past a certain time because they're set by the practice. I don't own the practice, and that's why. Because I have been asked, Well, why don't you just set up your own practice now? and I'm like. No, because I still don't feel I'm that person and won't be. I mean, I'm 61, who's going to be able to really have that significant control of, of timing of, you know, sort of what hours I finish and having that. that. So I personally like the fact of working for somebody else. Um, my favourite place, uh, really remote uh, towns, Thierry. Thierry is um, central Queensland. It's um, about an hour's drive inland from Emerald. Emerald is an hour and a half plane from Brisbane. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, right in the middle. Um, it is the whole of... Uh, Why do I love it? It's a very interesting medicine. Um, It's not, you know, it's not hello, goodbye, and it's actually medicine that as a solo practitioner many years ago that I think a lot, uh, and even non-solo, but many years ago we used to practice. Um, and uh, And I get an hour regularly for my lunch hour and during that hour, I walk five minutes to the pool and I do laps in the pool, and so it's my favorite place. Now it's a really nice life life balance.
0: Thank you for listening. If there's been anything in this podcast that you found distressing, don't forget to talk to your usual support person or call Lifeline on 131114. And if you'd like to hear more in the Being Well podcast series, you can find it on the Black Dog Institute website.